Hello everyone, this is Dr. Jason Sistoris and welcome to the fourth episode of Physicians Heal. Today we're going to dive into Arlene's story and man, do we got an episode for you. It's going to get very uh, literary, I almost want to say it's going to get poetic, it's going to get very uh, biblical, so strap yourselves in and enjoy the episode. Hi Arlene, how are you? I'm doing all right today, Jason. Good. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah. I want to say um, steady. Steady. I like steady. Steady. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Today, we are diving in to your story. Oh, man. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wordy, so there's lots of words No, that's story. fine. That's fine. But we're going to go deep. We, are, I mean, you've gone deep, and so I'm... I'm like, oh, she's going deep. I'm diving right with you, right there. So, uh, great. Um, again, we'll go back to our, I guess you can call our methodology. We have these set of questions mm-hmm. that we've sent to um, our fellow physicians. Mm-hmm. And although they were unable to answer all of them, you and I have decided, you know what, we'll, we'll explore these questions ourselves. So, I'm going to start right off with the first one. Is that okay? Sure. So why don't you, number one, tell us about yourself and what's your clinical background? Okay. So before I do that, let me just provide a little bit of context. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. so as I share today, I come with the advantage or disadvantage of trying to condense the work I've been doing for my upcoming book, Embrace Grace, New Medicine for a Wounded World. Mm. So I'm going to share my story and answer the questions by answering, by anchoring my particular story within a larger spiritual story. Mm. So individual stories of transformation often highlight universal truths and as such are incredibly important. Additionally, systemic change happens at a larger scale, often over generations and many, many lives. I want to be transparent that I come from a Catholic perspective that at its heart says, God is love, love changes everything, and every person is invited to receive love and to participate in the work of love. I also acknowledge, as you have, Jason, that everyone does not see or experience the same way the world, experience the world in the same way I do. And I respect each personal story shared in this space that may be anchored within other spiritual or philosophical traditions or no tradition at all. I personally weave my life story with thousands-year-old biblical stories to stay anchored in love, trusting that there's a deeper meaning and larger purpose for my life here and now, even if I cannot fully understand it in the midst of the ongoing uncertainties and upheavals we are experiencing as a global community. Wow. Wow, I'm just... I've read this before, but I'm just like reading it again, and, and it's really touching me. Um, let me just highlight a few points that you've, you've said that called out to me, you know, anchoring your particular story within a larger mm. spiritual story. I want to say that's a very saintly intuition. That's the mm. intuition of the saints right there. Mm. Um, I think that's a gift um, to, to kind of like see before and, and after you in that way, you know, um, uh, I I, re- I recall that the von Balthasar term like theodrama, you know, yes. where we're not yes. the protagonists in our story. Mm-hmm. In fact, we're probably the extra, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but um, but not only that. So outside of the biblical context, um, there's this historian slash philosopher who wrote the book Sapiens. Are you familiar with that? I'm so not, no. um, his name's Yuval Noah Harari. He's a Jewish historian, but um, his I guess you can say primary thesis statement is that throughout history, the stories we tell ourselves, mm. not just as individuals, but as societies, mm. you know, ultimately are the are the most powerful shapers of, of the course of history and, and our destiny, whether the story is true or not. And, and I'll give you an example right now. He says the most prevalent story is the story of money, mm. you know, like paper. <laughs> It, money yeah. is just paper, but we all believe it carries value. We all believe yeah. it's worth something, you know, and and our world operates around that story, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I think the story that you chose to ensconce your own story is, I want to say, the best story of all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm biased too. But mm-hmm. Okay, so now let's go to your story and uh, who you are and your clinical background. Okay. And sort of like what you did, I'm also going to include myself as in addition to my clinical background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, of course. Of course. Yeah. So my name is Arlene Santos McCain. I'm a 45-year-old second-generation Filipino-American woman. I was born in Hawaii and grew up in Virginia Beach. Rhythms of the deep waters of the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans merge and flow within me. I met my husband, Matt, in 1996 in a summer class where we trained to become emergency medical technicians. He is the first person I ever tried, and I failed, to take a blood pressure on. He brought laughter into my shy and serious life. And over the course of our five-year, long-distance relationship, he became the reason that I took the path of marriage and medicine rather than enter the religious life. We moved to Bridgewater in 2010 after I completed medical school and a family medicine residency at Eastern Virginia Medical School. Matt works as a firefighter paramedic and throughout 2017 to 18, he continued to work 24 hour shifts while I worked up to seven part-time jobs as I made plans to leave the conventional healthcare system and start a direct primary care practice, McCain Whole Healthcare. We have two teenage sons and two dogs. I think what you mentioned there about I took the path of marriage and medicine rather than enter the religious life provides a very important and meaningful context to your approach in in not just seeing your own story but seeing your life in general. Uh, the fact that you were close to you know committing yourself to the religious life, I think, was not surprising to me once I got to know you. You know, mm-hmm. but for our audience. Um, I think it's a useful context that mm. um, you're a very spiritual person already to begin with. Um, yeah. I love love. So not only do I love Fabio romance novels, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> it is so, funny. Yeah. It is funny. I'm funny that way. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. So I have no conscious recollection of my baptism into the Catholic Church. But as memory infused by over 30 years of experience recollects, I was born again when I was eight. That baptism came on a clear summer day at a Filipino party in Virginia Beach as I was playing in the Atlantic Ocean. All was normal until the world as I knew it fell away. I remember the power of the riptide suddenly pulling me under, breath, then no breath, a gulp of air, then air infused with sea salt water. 
My feet remember pushing against the sand to try to jump and break free from the unrelenting pull of waves. My eyes remember the bright sun and my ears still hear the distant sound of voices. I remember the rhythm, pull, push, jump, gulp, over and over until my efforts got weaker and I felt a calm surrender to the inevitability that I was going to die. I don't remember the myriad of thoughts that ran through my mind, just the rhythm of the drowning. And, oddly, I regret that I wasn't going to find out what happened on the next day's episode of Guiding Light. Mm. (laughs) And then, my dad's strong arms surrounded me and pulled me free from the riptide. Muffled curses poured from his mouth as he cradled me close, and air, once infused with sea salt water, became air infused with light. No breath became breath. I was born again into a new life, one in which I knew I was a beloved daughter. And the sea salt taste of the Atlantic Ocean was imprinted on my lips and my memories with the deep recognition of an underlying pull and strong rhythmic force that was beyond my understanding, yet present nonetheless. Thank you for sharing that experience already um, that was probably very fearful at that time. Mm. Um, mm. I, I found it funny that you had to describe the party as a Filipino party because <laughs> that already gave me context. Like, I know what it is and I know what kind of food there is. <laughs> I mean, there's got to be rice there. In that rice party. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you. And, and I also love the fact that it was your father mm. that gave you that lifting uplifting experience i think that already shaped you also in a specific way Mm -hmm. so let's go to the second question what's the story of your burnout journey and where are you on that journey right now okay and so from here i'm going to weave my story in with the story of the gospel of matthew chapter 14 verses 22 to 33 jesus walking on the water so verses 22 to 23 Then he made the disciples get into the boat and precede him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After doing so, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. So at the beginning of most journeys, we start by taking the expected path. For the disciples to go to the other side, they had to get into the safe and known space of the boat. And Jesus gives us the freedom to travel our path to the other side of the sea on the boat of our own making, to go it alone, or with the companions of our choosing. Most of my life was the journey towards becoming a physician. And while Jesus was part of my life, he was primarily compartmentalized to my prayer time. He was there as the day began, then lost in the busyness of everyday life. As we journey, Jesus is there, available, but in a space not always easily accessible. To go up on the mountain with Jesus to pray takes time, effort, and intention. And I wondered as I read the verse and imagined him up there at the mountaintop alone, did he want to stay there alone? Did he hope that the people he loved would come and seek him out after all those hours? Verse 24, meanwhile, the boat already a few miles offshore was being tossed about by the waves for the wind was against it. Often on my journey, it seemed that while the ultimate goal was the right one, I was called to be a physician. The challenges to get there were overwhelming. I desired to love God and to do God's will, 
during my undergraduate years at Georgetown, when the Matthew 10:8 verse first imprinted itself on my heart as my vocation verse, intellectually, it seemed like a good one. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, drive out demons. Without cost you have received, without cost you are to give. So the first part, cure the sick, was so spot on. And the rest was strange, but not really relevant. I mean, I had clearly asked God for a sign of what to do, and that verse came up. So I went with it and made a few mental modifications. So it read, cure the sick, become a doctor. But I was traumatized by medical training. And as the years progressed, I would often crave the peace that death might bring me. I could barely breathe. My life was a continuous exhale a continuous self-giving to exhaustion. I could barely breathe as I sank into the weight of fear, sorrow, and death that seeped through the walls of clinics and hospitals. My life was a continuous exhale in which I tried to breathe life by giving life to my patients and by giving birth to my sons. I was trying to give without cost, but forgetting that first I had to receive without cost. A healthy recognition of inexperience morphed into unhealthy self-criticism. I became captive to fear that my skills were never good enough and my knowledge would never be vast enough. And then the fear turned into a harsh self-judgment that I, myself, was not enough. I was drowning again, maybe figuratively this time, but absolutely and completely. I sank into a deep depression. Every day I cried to God, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Can I rest? Should I give up? All right, wow. Um, a few things that I just wanted to point out. Um, incidentally, mm. the walking on water, I call it the wow passage, walking on water. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, it's walking yeah. the wow passage. Wow passage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The wow passage was the same reading I came upon during that retreat I talked about in my story. Really? Where I where I felt like he was calling me to do the impossible. And for me, the impossible mm -hmm. at that time was to live a fulfilling and creative life while practicing medicine. Hmm. And I thought that was impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing that the same words called out to us in a very similar manner. Mm. Um, but... You, you obviously touched on the, the topic again of depression and, and suicidality and yeah. um, you, you, you I like the words that you used I would often crave the peace that death might bring me I think ultimately we all desire that that peace mm -hmm. but but for us during that moment of, of depression and, and burnout peace is just the absence of the chaos and mm. the, the misery, you know, right. it's like quiet, you know, whereas the desire that I'm talking about, that's really, really deep in the heart of everyone. If, if, if I were so brave to assume uh, it's the desire for the fullness of life, you know, the world health organization defines health, not just as the mere absence of disease, but complete, physical, mental, and social well-being, yes, you know? Yes. And then I think peace, the peace that I'm talking about is also not just the mere absence of, of chaos or trouble or misery, but it's the ultimate fullness of living a life, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. to, to its joyful capacity, right. you know? Uh, but, but at that point, at our lowest point, we just wanted to just end. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, now, the drowning, I think, is the last one I'd like to, to touch on, which is, I think, the most appropriate metaphor. Because I mm-hmm. really feel like, I think most of the people would feel like they're running out of breath. You know, even in training or even even in the midst of, like, current um, work as an attending doing charts, you know. You know this feeling where after you finish your last chart, backlog chart, mm-hmm. it's like, <sighs> I can breathe again. Yes. But then, you know, tomorrow you're going to start the same. And then by the end of the week, you have another. Right. You're going to be buried or you're going to be underneath that same. Yeah. that's true and I will you know so I would always in my journals I'd say oh I'm down to zero charts and then but the other side of it that wasn't written was oh but there's still 15 or 20 or 30 lab refills or phone calls that have to be addressed so even though that part can feel complete it actually there there never is a zero Mm -hmm. ever yeah yeah so yeah hmm interesting it is okay okay so then, as I was asking those questions, the answer that emerged was from Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, renew in me a steadfast spirit. It was a call to a kind of purification and perseverance, and so I'd continue to live and work through another day. Upon graduation from residency, I had to decide whether to practice in Spruce Pines, North Carolina, at an independent practice in the woods by a river with a downstairs massage room, or to practice as a hospital-employed physician in the central Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. Or as my future partner said, come to God's country. We chose God's country. Of course. Of course. (laughs) Verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, he came toward them, walking on the sea. The fourth watch of the night is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. After completing residency and starting medical practice, I more intentionally developed a relationship with Jesus. The morning practice, which started out as an intellectual exercise because it seemed like the right thing to do, actually transformed me. Five minutes of reading scripture became 30 minutes with scripture, then one hour with scripture in the rosary, then over two hours with the scripture, rosary, journaling, and sitting with Jesus. So first, Jesus opened my mind to developing the habit. Then he opened my heart to loving him more. And finally, he opened my soul into being a free active co-creator in our life together. Verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Jesus comes to meet us in unexpected ways. As I developed a relationship with Jesus in the early morning hours over the past decade, it's true, he terrified me. In the rosary, as I meditate upon the cornerstones of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. I often feel the pulsation of beads between my fingertips, like the heartbeat of Jesus awakening my hands to allow the Holy Spirit to flow through me. In the scripture that comes up for the day, a word or image resonates with my heart and enters unexpectedly into the experiences of the day as I walk in relationship with others. In journaling, when a heartfelt question comes up for me, inspired words flow onto paper in response. I kept asking myself, is this real? Am I making up these experiences? Yet day after day, the same things happened. The heartbeat between my fingers, 
the words of scripture that weaved into my daily life with others, the inspired answers that flowed onto paper and led me along paths I would never have chosen willingly with my intellect. And I'm reminded of Psalm 139 as sung in hymn. Although your spirit is upon me, still I search for shelter from your light. There is nowhere on earth I can escape you. Even the darkness is radiant in your sight. Jesus is terrifying. He offers his love abundantly, and he asks that we grow into loving him abundantly, which is so much greater than what we could even begin to imagine. Verses 27 to 29. At once, Jesus spoke to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him in reply, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on the water toward Jesus. What is courage? At its essence, it is to tell one's mind by speaking all one's heart. Here then is the call to stop seeing only with the eyes of the mind, to release fear-based security, and rather to see with the eyes of the heart, to embrace the vulnerability of compassion. I went into medicine because that was my vocation call through Matthew 10:8, and yet I found that all my knowledge and training was insufficient to fulfill the call. I had gone in with eyes of the mind, seeing what needed to be fixed, trying to fix with the tools I had, and making some headway, but not as much as I had hoped or expected. I fell into the trap of overwork, of trying to think myself into the perfect cure and writing the perfect note. On weekends, I'd spent hours desperately trying to finish charts while my husband was often a single parent and one son learned division by taking the number of charts I had remaining and dividing it by four to see how many hours it would be until I could spend time with him. Verse 30, but when he saw how strong the wind was, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Within three years of practice, I was depleted and drowning again, ready to give up medicine and work at Barnes and Noble as I had in college. And yet, I was too frightened to change because of the desire for financial security so I could pay my $400,000 school debt in addition to the mortgage, desire for social security with my position as a physician in the community, desire for family security, not wanting to let my husband or children or parents or sister down for all the years of sacrifice as I worked towards becoming a physician. In fact, I preferred the desire for any security even the security of my own misery, rather than the insecurity of change. I wanted to stay safe in the world I knew, even if it meant living small and sinking into depression and taking all those I loved with me. And in the fear, like Peter, during the fourth watch of the night in the early morning hours, I cried out again and again, Lord, save me. And Jesus answered me through Matthew 9.13, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus desires that my life be a living offering of compassion, not the burnt offerings of a tired, dying soul. Verse 31. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? 
And although I didn't realize it then, Jesus answered me every day I called to him. Each time I walked into the exam room with each of my 4,000 patients who asked me to see them, not as broken, not in need of fixing, but as whole people, complex, nuanced, resilient, and beloved. Jesus invited me over and over again to see through eyes of compassion rather than fear, and thus began a process of transformation for me from physician as diagnostician to physician as healer. Verse 32, after they got into the boat, the wind died down. They, Peter and Jesus got into the boat and the wind died down. There's no safety net but Jesus. The boat isn't the safety space, the safe space in rough waters. And this was brought to my attention both literally and figuratively during my family's first white water rafting trip on the Cheat River in West mm. Virginia. Mm. So on the trip, we navigated 10 rapids, one of which is called Calamity, of course. Mm. <laughs> it runs beside a large rock the guides called the Jumping Rock. Here, people can jump off the rock towards the rapids and the movement of the current brings you back into a safe space behind the rock. When we reached this point, the kids climbed onto the rock to get a better view of the river and to watch the people downstream in the helicopter performing water rescue exercises. Matt was in the water, experiencing the current of the calamity move him back into the safe space behind the jumping rock. And I, who thought was safe in the boat, was the least safe of all. As the force of the winds from the helicopter passed by, the waters of the Calamity Rapids became more violent and the raft flipped, tossed me into the water, then flew up into the air. And I, who still can't swim years after my first near-drowning experience, felt again the power of the water suddenly pulling me under. Breath, then no breath. A gulp of air, then air infused with water. My feet this time had no ground to push against, because I was buoyed up by a life preserver. My eyes were again conscious of the bright sun and my ears again heard the distant sound of voices. My mind and body suddenly remembered an old rhythm, pull, push, gulp. And I flailed helplessly in the water until Matt drew close and pulled me to shelter behind the jumping rock. Wow. You are not supposed to be around water, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I see that. Or I should learn to swim. Yeah, I don't or know. I should learn to swim. Um, yeah. Okay, I, I let you go on for a while there because mm -hmm. um, you, you do have a great story. But I, I did, mm -hmm. I did want to just uh, touch on a few things. Um, mm -hmm. You said Jesus comes to meet us in unexpected ways, and in the passage of Psalm one thirty nine, you know, even even the darkness is radiant in your sight. I'm reminded of. Um, I think he's Jesuit, this uh, Jean-Pierre de Cossade, mm. um, 18th century uh, priest, I think. Uh, but anyway, he has this book called Abandonment to Divine Providence. And there's a passage there I'm going to read right now. Ooh, yeah. <clears throat> there is not a moment in which God does not present himself under the cover of some pain to be endured, mm. of some consolation to be enjoyed, or of some duty to be performed. Hmm. And it it doesn't easily occur to us, normal human beings, <laughs> that God can come to us in the in the form of some pain to be endured. And, mm -hmm. But but this 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 priest, Jean Pierre de Cassade, you know, says at some point that if we were able to lift the veil 
you know, of the eyes of faith, um, we will constantly see at each at each and every moment, whether it be suffering or joy or a duty, God Himself, mm. you know, the divine reality Himself, revealing to us more and more of Himself. He will ne- obviously He's infinite, so you will never mm-hmm. fully comprehend Him. Yeah. But at each moment, He's showing more and. Um, and I just like the way you know darkness is radiant in your in your sight, because it reminds me that you know darkness being radiant can be the same as suffering being meaningful, mm. or sacrifices being redemptive. Yes, you know, and so much of what we do feels like a sacrifice. And in fact, you mentioned that you know you didn't want to quit medicine because you didn't want to let your your husband, mm. your children, your parents, your sister down, mm-hmm. who've also sacrificed so much for you for us right. you know to to reach our goals as physicians mm-hmm. um i really felt like i became a physician not of my own accord but because of the people around yes. me supporting me and i'm sure we're not alone in that you know mm-hmm. and you didn't want to let their sacrifices go to waste mm-hmm. if you were to stop becoming a doctor or do do something else you know yeah. but i felt that too um and then there's the weight of debt you know financial which is real which is real for a lot of of doctors especially as you said right now where the where the predominant is prominent yeah the predominant story in the world right now Mm -hmm. is the story of money money. yes you know and um but see that's what i love about the catholic faith because mm-hmm. it turns the world around and and this is again my bias we talked about right. this at, at the pilot because the more i grow older the more i hear the call to poverty mm, right you know yes. and it's like that's where the blessing is guys mm-hmm. you know and 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 that can mean different things to a lot of us mm-hmm. but at its simplest, it already mocks that story of money, mm-hmm. you know, and it mocks the world. The cross mocks the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and I, I also like the way you pointed out the security of my own misery rather than the insecurity of change. I was I was trapped in the same way, you know. I was trapped. Like, what else do I do? Go out and, but that's so, I'm scared <laughs> to become an entrepreneur or whatever, you know. <laughs> I'm scared of doing anything else mm-hmm. ra- uh, other than the thing that's hurting me already, yes. you know. Um, I think all of us have been there. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And are still there. Some of us are still there. Mm-hmm. Well, those are the, I think, pearls that I mind there, but um, you can go ahead. Okay. Verse 33. Those who were in the boat did him homage, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. A word that repeats itself often in my journals through my youth is more. It's my childlike understanding of what I now call abundance. And yet, when I was young, I thought that the dreams I had would be enough. Go to college, get married, raise a family, become a physician. But my heart and soul taught me otherwise. Over the years, the Holy Spirit whispered and groaned and trembled and roared and moved within and through me. As I did what the world expected, while being in deep relationship with others, particularly my patients. Patients who challenged my understanding of what it means to be a family physician within the current health system. 
For a long time, I thought I could live safe and live small. I thought I could hold on to the financial and social security of an employed job and also change the system by being authentic within the system. I could love my patients, support my patients, walk the path of health with them, and things would turn out fine. But fine isn't enough when we walk with Jesus because Jesus wants us to walk on the water with him in the midst of the strong winds that toss boats about on the waves. He wants us to have him, super abundant, transformative, life-giving love is our goal. He wants us to recognize that staying in the boat, waiting on him is not the safe space when the sea is rough. The only safe space is with him. Not in the boat, not on the water, only with him. The boat wasn't the safe space for me on the Cheat River. The safe space was with the people I had with me, my husband, my kids, and my guide. And in my life, the safe space is in relationship with my family, my patients, my friends. Each person a living, breathing reflection of the living Christ in my life, keeping me safe and anchored in the midst of rough waters. In my morning prayer, it's in relationship that I meet Jesus with my mind. And through that meeting, I receive the courage to feel the Spirit of Christ fill my heart. And with that courage, I go out to live my heart as a healer in the world. How does this look? Each morning, I spend two hours in prayer to reconnect with the divine, to be filled with the energy of superabundant love, to remember my mission of fierce high service, and to recommit to the intention of bringing healing into this world. When I kiss my sons goodbye in the morning, I rest my cheek against theirs and close my eyes and breathe in the air that surrounds them and breathe out from my heart with love. Then bless them on their foreheads before I send them out into the world. It's from that loving energy, this beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit, that I go in to work. Then, in that sacred space where a doctor and patient meet, I settle into a chair. I look into your eyes and honor your wholeness and wisdom. I listen to the words of your story and the story hidden under your words. I release my ego that wants to fix everything and instead partner with you to achieve your health goals. Physical health matters and your stresses, responsibilities, lifestyle, joys, and dreams are just as important. And so, after we speak and I start to do the physical exam, know this. When I put my stethoscope upon your chest to listen to your heart, I also put my hand at your back, behind your heart, to support you. And when you take deep breaths, I synchronize my breath with yours. In the silence of those few moments, as I listen to your heart and your breaths, I close my eyes and I ask for the wisdom to take my knowledge and tailor it to your needs. With our synchronized inhalations, I breathe in healing energy and ask that it open my heart. And as we exhale, I ask that the gift of the Holy Spirit pass from my heart into my hand, through your back, and into your own heart to meet your soul. Physical health may bring you into my office. My prayer is that you leave with a sense of healing that honors your body, mind, and soul. And in these, those deep breaths of inhalation and exhalation, like the disciples, I'm in the boat with Jesus, praying in awe and thanksgiving, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. 
My vocation is to the healing art of medicine. My service is to love deeply in the midst of that call. And in order to protect that sacred space in the exam room, the living Christ called me out into the world to create something new. The security of the hospital-employed physician is not of fiercest, highest service to those he calls me to care for. Rather, I was led into a new creation, McCain Whole Healthcare, a deeply relational practice which invites those who desire something more, who want to explore body, heart, mind, and soul, to come. Christ is asking me now to hold the space he had opened and held for me, for those he entrusts into my care. What's the greatest commandment? To love God. And after that, to love my neighbor as myself. To love God, not only in the privacy of prayer or in the church, but everywhere. To love my neighbor, every single person who crosses my path as a beloved child of God, even in the mundane, overwhelming, and often painful rhythm of daily life. To love myself. It's taken over 40 years of achieving as the world expects, 20 years of marriage, and a decade of mindfully walking in friendship with Christ daily, that I finally feel the spirit flow through me, mind, heart, and soul. St. Bernadette once wrote, do not just be a channel for grace, but a reservoir, an overflowing reservoir. No sooner has a channel received grace than it pours it out. A reservoir waits to be filled up and then offers grace to those who come to draw from its superabundance. Now I am filled to overflowing. And from that superabundance, I can labor joyfully and participate faithfully in God's work. That's beautiful. Um, I just wanted to acknowledge how in this part of your story, um, you were able to draw a lot from the what I feel is the feminine, mm. the feminine energy. You, you know, mm-hmm. you were able to live into your vocation by by giving into that nurturing, you know, side of yourself. You know, the way you describe how you kiss your kids in the morning. You know, yes. um, I am still learning to acknowledge and love that side of myself you know that that wants to be nurturing i believe that everyone you know has a feminine energy whether you're a man you know or otherwise but i think uh the way you lived into that into your vocation by by harnessing that i think is very beautiful it's unique thank you um that brings us to the third question Is there anything that brings you strength, peace, and or hope in this part of your journey, meaning now? If yes, what is it? If not, where might you find it? So just like you, I say yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the, The final part of my vocation verse makes sense now more than ever. Without cost you have received, without cost you are to give. I am on a journey of discovery, of the unfolding of the mystery of God within my life. This has been a struggle towards love, of dreaming about love, and choosing to persevere in love, even in the midst of pain. This has been a pursuit of truth, of learning to be in the world, but not of it, of discernment of my soul's whisper amidst competing voices. 
I've called to God for more as if he would give me exactly what I desired. I felt that even though I loved God, I still knew myself better than God knew me, and that I could cry and complain when what I had discerned ought to be didn't happen. Now, I look back at my life and I can feel God's smile. You wanted to become a physician? I want you to be a physician in the line of Jesus, the master physician. You hoped for a family? You have a biological and spiritual family that spans this life and beyond. You desire truth? Here is scripture, tradition, and a mystical experience of my love. You want more? I want you to have everything. And my experience of everything has occurred daily since I assented to my soul's whisper and ventured into an interior desert wilderness with the master physician to create the first direct primary care practice in the central Shenandoah Valley. This is a family medicine practice, yes, and it is my daily spiritual practice of embracing grace and offering grace in a hurting world. Here, outside voices are muted so that a safe and sacred space can be held where intimate conversations occur in slowed down time with the person in front of me. Here, we partner together to do the work of whole health and healing, which I am confident happens for me and the people I care for and the surrounding community we engage with, whether or not I'm fully aware of all the ways it's happening. Because love changes everything. Love changes everything, indeed. Thank you. Thank you for your story. Thank you. Um, I wanted to underline that um, sentence that you mentioned. I want you to have everything, you know. Mm. Um, it reminds me of C.S. Lewis, who said that our problem is not that we desire too much, mm. but that we desire too little. Wow. Oh, right? I love that. Right? Yes. Because the things that we usually desire are so like minute compared to the gifts that he wants to offer. Mm -hmm. um, I don't mean to maybe put us on the spot right now, but while we're having this conversation, I realized that both you and I answered yes to finding hope and strength and peace in this part of our journey. What do you think can we share to those people who who can't find mm. hope amidst all the all the burdens of mm. you know I think just going back to your story you, you there was a part there uh, where you said that you know pretty pretty much you were just working nonstop you had seven part time jobs you mm. know and then you were charting at home your your son learned how to divide because of you know. <laughs> the amount of charts that you had to do. and, and mm. I, I think burnout at its core is essentially just nonstop working, regardless of the vocation that you're at. You know? Correct. Whether you're uh, a firefighter, mm -hmm. a, a, a physician, a lawyer, you know, a businessman, mm -hmm. if you're just working nonstop, inside the office, outside the office, mm -hmm. you're, you're just going to burn out. And for people who are in the middle of that, where do you think might they find? Hmm. Uh, wow, that's such a great question. 
Well, I think part of, you know, when you were sharing your story about how in the midst of everything, suddenly, thank you, right? Mm. Where you were putting two words in the midst of all the pressure where suddenly a little space started to open up, mm. right? Sometimes it's it seems as if where you can put that little extra of gratitude or surrender or, um, or maybe even it's not even, you know, a lot of times we a situation comes up that feels so bad and then we start to judge it as right or wrong, right? And then in the judgment, that in and of itself turns into a, a cloud of terrible, um, harsh thoughts, mm-hmm. right? And so then again, not only do you have the pressure of everything coming in on you, but now you have all these really negative energy that continues to be fueled. Mm-hmm. And so where are the small, tiny spaces where... Um, where there can be something a little different. So that's that's one part of it on the one-to-one, but I think you've also sort of mentioned places where are there communities where we can find a sense of solidarity, mm, mm, right? Mm, yeah. Um, where, and part of why we're doing this podcast is not so everybody necessarily knows our stories, mm. but to offer this, this recognition that we are, um, all of us in many ways suffer, um, and that we can, that we can be in solidarity with one another and hold that together. Yeah. And the burden can become lighter in the midst of that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to speak almost reverently mm. to, to people out there who are still, you know, in the thick of, yeah. you know, depression and, mm-hmm. you know, um, burnout and, just being, just not finding hope. I, I do want to speak reverently. I want to acknowledge that that experience is real. In fact, it is. Mm-hmm. We, we've both felt that way before. Mm-hmm. And I think um, in the same way that, um, I keep going back to AA meetings for some reason, you know, <laughs> but in mm-hmm. the same way that the sponsors are able to show, you know, people are, who are still trying to come out of their own, problem that hey i was able to come out of this and i'm no better than you Mm -hmm. you know right i think that's the same model that we're trying to offer in terms of the solidarity that we're trying to give it's like you and me Mm -hmm. i mean we're no different than than most if not all of our colleagues in fact I, i i feel like there's so many more people that are much better and more emotionally resilient than I am, you know. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, it just so happens that we, we found the grace. We, 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 we found the grace, you know, mm-hmm. um, I guess at that part of our lives. Right. And, um, and like you said, sharing, sharing this experience, mm-hmm. um, meaning whether it be to other colleagues or in the form of a letter, let's say, sending it to us or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, sharing that experience, I think, is is the first step yeah. towards acknowledging that, hey, you know, I am suffering. Yeah. So a lot of us, like you said, it was just so shameful. Mm-hmm. It was just mm-hmm. so shameful to suffer. And you don't want to even acknowledge it to yourself. Right. Right? Yeah, you mentioned that during the, during the pilot. So I think, you know, just acknowledging that we're suffering... Yeah. Um, and and allowing that space, like you said, to develop and, mm-hmm. and open up. And I love how you said reverently. I mean, it really is. It's um, suffering uh, to 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 have the honor to hold someone else's story 
is truly precious. You know, to for someone to to offer their story for us to be able to receive it and hold it with you, it's it's not something that's taken lightly at all. And um, and the other part of it is, you and I were fortunate that for our lives, the circumstances allowed that we could we could develop when we could you know found these direct primary care practices. Mm-hmm. It's not the answer for everybody. No, it's not. And in the Although midst I, of, I do, uh, I, I've, I've heard people say that. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. See, regardless, it's not a one size fits all. Yes. You know, um, yeah. and I will have to say, you know, as I was having these seven jobs, and even though I was running around like a crazy woman a lot of the time with that, I had more joy in seven part time jobs than the one that I had. Oh, yeah. Because... I could imagine, yeah. Because I had the autonomy to give my time in the way that I decided I could do it, mm. right? It's it's a gift rather than something being taken from me, mm. Mm. right? And so, um, so, again, the places where we can say, in this moment, I choose to, with this time, say thank you, or I choose to, whatever it is, mm-hmm. it's my choice, it's my gift. And then suddenly that starts to shift that disempowerment that is chipping at us into a more powerful stance. And it is the small steps that, that lead to big change. Yes. For me, I didn't have those part-time jobs. But like mm-hmm. I said, the change really mm-hmm. within those first two years of, of, of still being in that same job, mm-hmm. the, the change started happening interiorly. interiorly. Like that, I, I even found... Mm-hmm. The joy in in the job again, mm-hmm. even before mm-hmm. going into my own practice, yeah. you know, um, and it's possible, and it's possible even if nothing changes. Exactly. Yes. Even if nothing changes, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, darkness becomes light. Like you yeah. said, you know, um, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Thank you, Arlene. Yes. Thank you for letting me share all my words. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you are a physician, again, you are more than welcome to to share your story with us. And if you'd like to do so, email us at physiciansheal at gmail.com. Again, physiciansheal at gmail.com. Please also check our show notes to get more information. And we look forward to seeing you next time. 